Many have said that this is a definitive chapter where God came to give the Gentile believers in Christ only a few commandments to ever worry about. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from what has been strangled and from blood. Is God telling Christians to not worry about any other commandments besides for these? On first glance, it certainly seems like it. But I want to submit to you that this is one of the most misunderstood chapters in all of the Bible. And many Christians struggle to actually accurately understand and explain it because they have been divorced from the very important early church historical context. What was happening in the first century, especially within Orthodox Judaism and their beliefs? Because this is what is being addressed in Acts chapter 15. And if we don't know what those beliefs are, how will we understand the hearts of the disciples who are now speaking against some of these beliefs? So, hey guys, my name is Petey and welcome to Rise on Fire, where we talk about how to walk more just like Jesus walked. I'm going to dig right in. In Acts 15 verse 1, we read, But some men came down from Judea, and we're teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So Paul and Barnabas are going to Jerusalem about a specific question. The question that this entire chapter's discussion and subsequent decisions will be about whether it is true that circumcision and obeying the law of Moses is required for salvation. There were some people in the first century of the sect of the Pharisees. And by the way, some of them believed in Jesus, but yet they carried some baggage along with them. And some of this baggage these, these beliefs that they try to carry into their faith of belief in Christ was that, well, keeping the law of Moses would be what saves you. In fact, this is what they say, that unless these men are circumcised, they cannot be saved. And I want to submit to you that this belief even still hangs around today among some of those who identified as Orthodox Jews. For example, a common ritual conducted with circumcisions is that there is a scripture that is often quoted speaking of the blood of the circumcision in your blood live. Orthodox Judaic publication YC Torah writes this link of circumcision blood to the blood of the Pesach and its salvific power is alluded to every year during the Pesach Seder. Many today, as well in the days of when this letter of Acts 15 was written, believe that you can be saved by the blood of your own circumcision, by the work that you conduct 
when you get circumcised or when someone circumcises you or the works that you do when you keep the laws of God. But yet this is a very dangerous idea. And this is why the disciples so ferociously come against it. Why is it so dangerous? Because it is inherently anti-Christ. You see, if we believe that it is by the doing of works such as the keeping of the law, that is the thing that saves us. What is the need for Christ then? We are then dependent on our own works, but yet our own works are like filthy rags ultimately and cannot save us or justify us as being worthy to come into God's presence and make us totally clean. Yet that's why Yeshua, Jesus had to come and die for us so we can enter God's presence. His blood is what purifies us and we are saved by faith in him alone. But works are still important, are they not? You see, Paul wrote, he says, what is it then? I uphold the law. You see, we do understand that we're saved by faith, but we then keep the law of God because that is the fruit of our salvation. 1 John 3 verse 4 says that sin is the transgression of the law. So if we want to know what is a sin, we just see what is it to break the law of God. And that is what sin is. And so we don't continue in sin after coming to Christ. Now that we are equipped with this understanding about what some people believed is required to be saved in the first century, let's continue reading because Paul and Barnabas are now going down to Jerusalem to discuss this matter with the rest. And they will come to some important conclusions. Verse five, but some believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Verse seven. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, who bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. There are a few very important things I'd like to highlight for you out of this chapter. Uh, first off, what we read is a reiteration about what they're here to discuss. And they say again, they're here to discuss the matter of those who say it is necessary to circumcise in, and keep the law of Moses to be saved. Necessary. In other words, if it is not done, you cannot be saved. Like we read in that first verse. Secondly, what we read is that he says that God made no distinction between us and them. He says that God made no distinction between us being the Jewish people and them being the Gentiles, but that God chose to save all of us. And God chose to save all of us, most importantly, in the same way, by the same means. 
And so this means that the solution of whatever is going to be presented to the people will not be making distinctions between Jew and Gentile because we're all saved the same way. And also when he speaks and says, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples that we nor our fathers ever could bear? What yoke is that? Is that yoke like so many have taught the law of God? Did God give us a burden? Did God give us slavery? No, the yoke is what this whole conversation has been about from the beginning. The the attempt to save oneself by keeping the law, by your own works. That is a burden no one could could carry because you'd have to be perfect. And that most certainly will make you feel separate from God when you ultimately fail in your law keeping. But yet now we see this yoke is discussed and says that we can't keep this yoke. You can't keep this yoke. No one can. So again, it alludes to this solution. What is going on? There will be no distinction made. Galatians 3 verse 28 says there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male or female. If you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Romans eleven seventeen says, But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. Paul writes and says that there's neither Jew nor Greek. We're all one in Christ. We are all saved the same way. We're all supposed to be obedient in the same way. There's no distinction made between us, as we read in Acts 15. And he says we're all as heirs of Abraham's promise. There is not a son of Abraham and then a Gentile. But he goes on to say that we are all grafted into Israel when we become believers. Next, what happens is that James stands up in verse 19 and he reminds everyone who this is all for and what they need to be doing. He says, first, therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, from sexual morality, from what has been strangled and from blood. We should not be mistaken to think that this list of things is for all Christians, the only things they ever need to worry about. Because James was spe- and the other apostles were speaking to a very specific audience that had a Greek Hellenistic background that were Gentiles who just recently turned to God. In fact, the word for those turn who turn to God that James uses is the Greek word epistrepho. And it literally means in its root, those who are reversing, converting or turning. I love that. People who are reversing out of their old life, turning to Christ unto a new life, converting into Christianity. These are brand new baby believers. This is the audience that this list is for. And this list is a, it's an interesting list, isn't it? I mean, where does this list of things even come from? Well, did he just pull it out of his mind, out of his memory? It came from the Bible itself, the law of God itself. In fact, 
from the book of Leviticus is where he got it from. For example, when he talks about abstaining from things polluted by idols, that's Leviticus 26 verse 1. When he talks about abstaining from sexual immorality, that's Leviticus 18, a whole list. And when he talks about abstaining from what has been strangled, that's Leviticus 17 verse 13, where he talks regarding how we ought to eat meat that has been slaughtered correctly. And when he says we ought to abstain from blood, he talks about Leviticus 17, 14, where the blood needs to be drained. These are dietary instructions from Leviticus, which he's instructing these new converts to keep. Why? I want to submit to you that if I found any new convert, any new believer in Christ, they're going to have a lot of baggage, a lot of pagan ways of the world that they're still used to. Maybe they have a background of being an alcoholic. Maybe they have a background of sexual immorality. They may still be addicted to pornography. Maybe they have a background like some of my African brothers and sisters where I'm originally from, and they are deeply entrenched often in divinations and witchcraft. And if depending on which country you go to and which city you go to, this list will change too, because this list was based off of what are the things that they were struggling with specifically. Because if I meet a new believer, I'm not going to tell them you need to keep this long list of things and sort all of these things out and then you can come to Christ. No, I'm going to give them a short list of manageable things that they could focus on, like that alcohol addiction or drug addiction or pornography addiction or witchcraft and divination or sexual immorality, whatever it is. That is what I tell them to repent from as a requirement to focus on to follow Christ, because you cannot continue in your your deeply entrenched sins and then say you follow Christ. You must repent of them. And I want to submit to you that this is exactly what they are doing here. Don't, they're saying, don't worry about these men who are coming and telling you that you need to keep all the law of Moses. You need to keep circumcised. You need to do all of these. I mean, the law of Moses is a long list of laws. And you can't, if you don't do all of that stuff, you cannot be saved for any new believer. That is a burden that cannot be borne, right? And so they're saying, don't worry about that for now. Worry about these few things that you are facing in your culture right now. And what, what then? What, what do we then do next? He actually says in the next verse, verse 21, for from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. After giving the list, there is a little disclaimer at the end. Abstain from sexual immorality, from blood, from animals that haven't been slaughtered correctly, all of these things. But then make sure that you remember that this is dependent on this. For from ancient generations up until now, people are going to the synagogues every Sabbath to hear the law of Moses. What is the message? They're going to go to the synagogue every Sabbath and they will learn slowly but surely every week about how to walk in obedience to God. 
You see, brothers and sisters, there's another thing you must understand that was so radically different in the first century than from today. They did not have Bible apps on their phones. Instead, the only way for them to get the Bible, the instructions, the law of God to study it was to go to a synagogue and listen as they unrolled the scroll every Sabbath and read from it. That's the only way that could have really happened. It's very important for us to also understand that the only Bible that was around back then was the law of God. So why would James say that they can, should go to the synagogue and find a rest there knowing that the only thing being read there is the law if they should not even be keeping the law? You see, it wouldn't make any sense for him to mention that. But he does because the message is not that, oh, you only have to worry about sexual morality. You only have to worry about not drinking blood and these few other things. I mean, would that would not even make any sense because murder is not in that list. Not being greedy is not in that list. Oh, I mean, there are many things not in that list if we really think about it. But yet we know those things are wrong. Why? How? Maybe it's like Paul said. For if it wasn't for the law, I would not know what sin is. And in the same way, it would be for these Gentiles. If it isn't for the law being read in the synagogue every Sabbath, as it has been from ancient generations past, how will they discover what sin actually is? Unfortunately, in Christianity, we have so often become so focused on, well, what do I need to do to get saved? And that is most certainly extremely important. But sometimes it has come at the cost of, okay, I'm saved now, but what can I do to please my father? Because see, that's really the conversation that we're having today is not just how can we be saved? We know it's by faith in Christ. Yes. Amen. But now what can I do further in order to be pleasing to my father? Because we read in the book of Hebrews that there is a maturity that is further that we need to seek after. Hebrews 6 verse 1, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God. So if you are a new convert, a Gentile who just came out of paganism, well, sure, focus on those elementary matters of, that needs to be repented from. But if you're watching this and you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for 10 years, you've been a Christian for five years and you love God and you understand how you're saved and you have repented from those dead works you did at first. Now there is a new place of obedience, a deeper place to head into. Let's read on because in Acts chapter 21, we see the story actually continues. And we see that Paul is tested as to this point, because many people have in that day actually thought that Paul was speaking against the law, that he was teaching people not to keep the law. It's kind of crazy. They people think that today they thought it back then. But what actually happened? What did they say was actually the truth about the matter? Verse 21 of Acts 21. And they have been told about you, Paul, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear from you that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men. We're under a vow 
Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus, all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment. They should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, blood, what has been strangled and sexual immorality. So the accusation against Paul has been you teach people that you need to they need to forsake Moses, that they shouldn't be keeping the law of God, that they should abolish that, not care about that. Does it sound familiar? Isn't that what it said so often today? But yet when those heard it, the leaders there, they said, Paul, let's set the record straight once and for all for everyone. Go and do this vow, which is, by the way, a Nazarite vow, a Torah law, a law of Moses. Go and keep it with these people. And then everyone will know that nothing, none of these accusations are true, that nothing of it is true, that it is a false witness. Listen, if anyone has ever come to tell you that Paul is against keeping the law, this proves that it's a false witness because Paul went out of his way to disprove all of them. And it's interesting then, because what is he doing? Because some have said, well, look, Paul is doing it for the sake of the Jewish people just to get them to keep quiet. Yeah. And maybe you may even say, oh, well, the Jewish people should do it. And the Gentiles shouldn't. People who are non-Jews shouldn't care about the law at all. Well, first off, we already stated that the law was which, which was the thing given to these Gentiles. Certain laws in Leviticus that they were struggling and was given to them. But then why now does it seem that there is only that given to the Gentiles, but then to the Jews, that is, it's a different story. I want to submit to you that we already read in Acts chapter 15 that he says we make no distinction between us and them, between Jews and non-Jews, but that God has come to save us all the same way and we all live the same way. He came to say we're all of the Abraham's offspring grafted in. There's no Jew nor Greek in Christ. So the way we worship God does not differ. We're all the same before God. But if there's no distinction, why the difference in treatment, it seems? Because we are comparing apples and oranges. We are comparing Paul, who's now proving he keeps the law, who has been an extremely mature believer, to new believers, like it even reiterated in Acts 21, 25, as for the Gentiles who have now come to believe. These new believers, they will not have the same expectation of them from Paul or anyone else. Because another thing to keep in mind is that Jewish people grew up with the law, grew up going to synagogue, grew up understanding the Bible. While Gentile, heathen, pagan Greeks, they don't know anything about the law of God. They don't know anything about the Bible, the Torah or synagogues or what they teach in there or, you know, any of that. So obviously, what we see is that the standard here is seemingly different, not because these are Jews and non-Jews, 
but because it's not an ethnic issue as much as it is an issue of maturity, of how much knowledge there is about the word, so as not to burden anyone. At the end of the day, all of us are saved the same way. Salvation in Christ. And that is it. That is how you're saved by faith. But we then have works that come as the fruit of that salvation. We are to then walk like Jesus walked. But Jesus did other things except for these few commandments delivered to these Gentiles. Did he not? Yes, of course. We are supposed to do so much more as we grow because we will learn more not to be saved because Yeah, but it's not just about being safe for us. It's about so much more. And so I want to read to you. We read in 1 Corinthians 11, 1. Paul writes, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Hold up. Paul says we should imitate him. But yet Paul just came here to outwardly prove to everyone he keeps the law of Moses. And that means if we grow, we will look to imitate Paul and imitate Christ. And Christ also kept the law of Moses perfectly, never sinned. Let's read on 2 Peter 2 verse 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so you may follow in his steps. 1 John 2 verse 6. Whoever says he abides in Christ ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Philippians 3.17 Paul writes, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. 1 Corinthians 4.16 I urge you then be imitators of me. You see, brothers and sisters, If we want to follow the example of Christ to imitate Paul and to imitate Christ, it is impossible to do so without looking to what they did, what instructions they obeyed. Jesus, he kept the Ten Commandments, including the fourth one of the Sabbath. Paul did the same. It says that Jesus went to the synagogue every Sabbath, as was his custom. And there are many other such things that have we have been divorced from because of lies we have inherited, because we don't understand the context of what was going on in these around these scriptures. I want to submit to you that if you say PD, but it's all about the new covenant, I'll tell you, amen. But then what is the new covenant? You see, the new covenant was made out only to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Jeremiah 31 verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. If you are not considering yourself Israel, then you're not part of the new covenant. But you are Israel if you're a believer in Christ because you're grafted in. You're one and the same as the uh, as the people of Israel itself. You become grafted in. And then he also goes on to say that this new covenant is the law written on your heart. What law? When Jeremiah the prophet was writing this, there was only one law around and everyone knew what it was. The same law that Paul knew what was around, the same law that Jesus knew was around, the Torah and the prophets, the law of God, that which is in your Old Testament today, handed down through Moses. That is the law written on your heart. That means that you will have an inclination to want to keep it, 
unless others will teach you not to. It means that the Holy Spirit will empower you to keep it. And it means that there is joy and blessing in doing so. But it's not a different law. The law isn't changed. The only thing that is different is the fact that we can come to God through Christ, that he has died for us and he has come to set us free by his blood. But then now that we are set free, my question to you is, what will you do with that? Is your eyes simply set on, I want to get saved and then you live the way you want with dead works or just repentant of dead works, but never moving to maturity? Where will you be? What will you choose? Hey, if you're new here, I realize a lot of this may sound strange at first, but if your interest has at least been piqued at what we've been talking about, subscribe to the channel for more videos like this and check out this video where I talk more about our role as Israel and God's people and how there is so much more to the Christian life than what many think.